And a very good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Certainly is a happy Thursday because we get some great news when it comes to our COVID numbers. As you just heard Danny mention in the news at the top of the hour, we are once again under 200 for the province. As a matter of fact, we are sub 300, under 300 for the entire country. Just 279 new cases for Canada as a whole today. In fact, several provinces are now moving ahead and taking their next steps forward. B.C., for example, announcing stage three today. They're moving to phase three of their reopening, which means non-essential travel will be permitted. Film production in Van City, that can resume. Meantime, on the other side of the country, the Atlantic provinces, they've agreed to a regional travel bubble. Now, what is that exactly? Well, starting next week on July the 3rd, residents will be able to actually travel between the provinces, the maritime provinces, without having to self-isolate for two weeks. And all of this, all of this news, in stark contrast to our neighbors to the south. More than 36,000 new cases in the U.S., which is a new single-day high there. And how about this? More than 5,500 of those in Florida alone. A record as well for that state, a one-day record. 36,000 new cases in a day, 5,500 in one state. And unlike the Atlantic provinces that I just mentioned, New York State, they're actually going in the opposite direction. Any visitor to New York from any other U.S. state now has to quarantine. So if you want to come to New York, you want to go to New York State, and you're coming from Arizona or California, Florida, one of those other hotbeds, 14 days of isolation. Obviously, the tale of two countries going in two completely different directions when it comes to COVID. We're going to talk to our medical expert, Dr. Lucas, about this before the hour is out. He, of course, the Canadian doctor, currently working in Houston, so he's got a very unique perspective on this, and we'll talk to the doctor before 2 o'clock. And while the numbers are much better here, there are still some concerns, a lot of concerns, actually, over long-term care in this province. New report out says that the death rate in Canada's long-term care homes is double that of other developed nations. Roughly 80% of our COVID-related deaths coming, sadly, from our long-term care homes. And listen, we have promised you for weeks now that we are going to stay on this story, and we're doing just that. And so is Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. He recently wrote an op-ed for The Sun titled, We Can't Let This Window to Overhaul Our Long-Term Care Facility Slip Away. And Stephen Del Duca joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mr. Del Duca, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Well, nice to speak with you. A, a very personal piece in the paper the other day. Uh, you wrote about your grandfather, who was actually in one of the homes cited in that recent military report that made so much news. So one of my, my grandmother actually volunteered at the Eatonville Care Center when I was growing up in Etobicoke. She didn't, she didn't reside in the home, but she did volunteer there pretty regularly. And I was uh, with my grandfather on a regular basis, dropping her off and picking her up. Um, again, we... We lived only a couple of blocks away from that particular care center. And so it was, I mean, the whole story is tragic and heartbreaking. It was particularly uh, brutal to hear in the Canadian military's report that Eatonville and the other homes that they were helping out in, uh, to read their observations about what's taken place is totally unacceptable in a province in a country that's as, as, as prosperous as ours. So my, my main thrust here is to make sure that we don't let this kind of creep back into the shadows and forget about this issue. We have to keep shining a light on it. The government can take steps today to help make circumstances better, and there needs to be a much bigger conversation 
about how our parents and grandparents can age with dignity here in the province of Ontario. Couldn't agree with you more because that's a measure of a society, I think, how we treat our elderly, how we take care of them. And uh, you are also out today as we want to continue that conversation, speaking about staffing levels in long-term care homes. What's the latest on that? Yeah, so, I mean, right across the board, again, there's uh, one of the biggest challenges in long-term care for far too long. The women and men, mostly women, who work, for example, as personal support workers, uh, they don't get paid enough in order to hold down full-time jobs. So I, I think we're at a point now where we have to make sure that they're earning a true living wage so that they can be designated as full-time employees. They can have that financial freedom to be full-time employees. That's, I think, important at all times, given the nature of the work that they do. But it's particularly important during things like a pandemic, because when you have multiple hundreds and hundreds of personal support workers who are moving from one facility to another, which was the case at the in the earliest days of the pandemic here in Ontario, it's just a recipe for disaster. So the best way to fix that is to make sure we have more personal support workers, more nurses, make sure that they're properly trained and supported and they're paid a living wage. Did the government fail to do that to protect personal support workers and thereby protect long-term care residents in your estimation? Well, listen, I, I said in my op-ed that this is, this is a problem that has plagued Ontario for more than just the last couple of years. So I accept that multiple governments, multiple stripes, all levels have kind of failed in this regard. I do believe there were decisions made by Doug Ford and his government both before and during the pandemic that have made it worse. We saw another media report last night in the Toronto Sun that suggested that there were there was a request for more funding made by the minister responsible in February and again in March once the pandemic was already here. And those uh, those calls or those requests for more funding were, were turned down or rejected by Doug Ford and his, uh, his other ministers. It's something called Treasury Board. To me, that's a pretty clear example that they were moving in the wrong direction. Um, but again, we need to have a bigger conversation about how our parents and grandparents can age and be safe and healthy and have dignity as they retire. And listen, I'm glad you're being that honest and that open when it comes to this situation about what you wrote in the paper, what you just said uh, here on the air, because, you know, I think the Ford government would counter with the fact that they inherited record debt. Your government had 15 years to deal with this. Uh, They're trying to deal with uh, the debt and some of these problems like long-term care facilities. So how much responsibility do you and the the past government, the liberal government, uh, shoulder for where we are today when it comes to long-term care? Well, I think, listen, I think we made some progress. Obviously, we didn't make enough progress in this area. And I think within our long-term, sorry, within our health care system in Ontario, it's been way too easy for too long for long-term care to be sort of a forgotten cousin uh, within within the health care system. Having said that, so we could have done a better job. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't mince words in that regard. Having said that, we already knew in February and March of this year that the pandemic was going to be serious. We saw what was happening in China and Iran and Italy and elsewhere around the world. Uh, the minister responsible went to Treasury Board. She went to the Premier's office. She asked for more funding to help deal with the problem that we knew, that she knew was going to be critically difficult to deal with in long-term care, care homes here in Ontario. And for whatever reason, the Premier and his team decided to reject that request for more funding. We can't afford to let that happen again. So when we go forward, regardless of who's in charge, although I will say the buck does stop with the Premier, we have to make sure that we have more personal support workers. We have to make sure that the standard of care in these long-term care homes is reasonable. More baths on a weekly basis for the residents who live there. Better food. We have to pay for better food to make sure that, I mean, it's shocking to me that I even have to say these words, but we have to provide adequate support and adequate funding to make sure that the food that they're eating in those long-term care homes is reasonable and it's healthy and it's nutritious. 
We have to make sure that, again, the training is there for the personal support workers and for the nurses. Uh, there's so much more that we can do. Um, I've called for a public inquiry into this. I know the government's promised an independent commission, but there are steps that they could be taking right now to make this better as we're going forward, and I sincerely hope that they will. All right, I want to talk about that in just a second, but you're absolutely right. The buck stops with the Premier. Doug Ford has said that time and time again during this pandemic when he's been holding his daily press conferences, as you well know. Of course, you served under Premier Wynne. Premier McGinty was in power before that. When you had power, when your party had power, sir, is there something when you look back at you wish that you had done or done differently to put long-term care in a better position for today? You know, I can think back to times when, for example, you know, in the last couple of years that we were in power, we did allocate funding and licenses for, I believe it was 5,000 new long-term care beds. Those haven't yet been built. But, you know, we saw the demographic shifts. I think we probably could have accelerated the building of those long-term care homes, those long-term care beds, I should say. Uh, I think that we had uh, a long-running discussion about how to make sure that we were paying the living wage to personal support workers. We made some progress in that regard, but clearly not enough. Uh, I know that we rehabilitated, from what I remember, somewhere between 10 and 15,000 long-term care beds across the province to make them, um, to, to give them a better rating. I know that we certainly had far more random in-person inspections than we saw in the first couple of years under Doug Ford. But I'm, but I'm clear when I say this, uh, this is a problem that has plagued governments at all levels and for multiple years. And I just want to make sure that we keep shining a light on it so that we don't forget about needing to fix it. Absolutely. There's an old saying in business, of course, you can't make money looking back. So let's look forward, as you suggest we should do, and obviously we have to do. And I think everybody agrees, Mr. Del Duca, that time is of the essence here. We can't afford to drag our feet on this. What would you recommend? What should we do immediately to help this situation? So it's kind of what I referenced a second ago, the first three or four things that can be done. Uh, working with all of the partners in the system to make sure personal support workers and nurses are paid what they need to be paid for a living wage so they can be full-time employees, uh, number one. Number two, raise those standards of care. So take a look at how much the system um, funds or subsidizes things like the number of baths that residents get on a weekly basis and increase that number. Look at the daily uh, subsidy or the amount that's paid for the food that these women and men are eating in those long-term care homes and increase that. Uh, make sure those new beds actually do get built in a timely fashion in a way that makes sense. So these are a number of steps that could be taken uh, in the very short term. We have all kinds of people working and living in these long-term care homes. What kind of support do they have? What kind of testing are they getting during the rest of this pandemic? What kind of mental health support will they need on the other side of the pandemic? The PSWs, the nurses, the residents, and their respective families. So these are all things that don't need to wait for a commission of inquiry or a public inquiry. These are steps the government could be taking right now, and I'm urging the premier and his ministers to do that. Again, it is really disappointing that they would have said no to funding increases for long-term care in February and March of this year when the pandemic was already here. But we can't fix this by simply looking backwards. We have to figure out how to get it right going forward. Was it a mistake in your estimation not to have a public inquiry? And if so, what does a public inquiry give us that we're not getting right now, do you think? Yeah, I, I, was, I believe I was one of the first to call for a public inquiry. I still hope there will be a public inquiry if I'm successful in 2022 and I win the election and become premier, I will appoint a public inquiry into this. I think this is the kind of investigation or analysis that needs to be truly independent and truly free of government. Uh, there, you know, I think that's the only way to sort of get down to the root causes of why we've been 
um, why we've let this happen in our province, given the kind of wealth that we have. So if we really want to root it out, if we really want to make sure we have a roadmap to fix it going forward, I think we need that level of independence separate from government to get the recommendations that are needed for the long term about the bigger conversation around how people can age with dignity. Well, here's to hoping we don't have to wait till 2022 and have a public inquiry, because as we said before, time is of the essence. There's people in there suffering right now. Uh, having having said that, you've obviously seen the stats, as we all have, when it comes to private long-term care homes and how they've been hit and hit hard by the pandemic. Uh, what is your take on privatization of these long-term uh, care homes? Should that remain, or does the public uh, public sector need to take this over? So I think that does need to be part of the conversation, but I will tell you, I'm I'm less concerned about the nature of the ownership of the homes, and I'm more concerned about what the standard of care is inside those homes. If we if we have if we continue to use the I'll call it a mixed or hybrid model like we have today, but we raise those standards of care, we have more in-person inspections, we have an open and transparent rating system that gives patients or residents and their families all the information we need. If we do all of those things, the nature of the ownership itself, I don't think, becomes the priority. And I don't want us to fall into the trap of believing there's an easy solution here. I know there are others who say if you just got rid of the private nature and you made them all public all the problems will go away. I don't buy into that. This is a complex situation. It's being built up. It's gotten worse year after year after year. I think we really have to look at it thoughtfully to make sure we're moving in the right direction. So ultimately, if that means that the private operators can't survive in a system where the standard of care is sufficient for our aging and grandparents, so be it. But I, I'm not looking for quick solutions here. I'm looking for ones that actually that last and actually pro, you know provide us with what we're looking for. So the key here, in your estimation, is inspections, regulation, and to make sure that those regulations actually have some teeth, some bite to them, that if you are not hitting that level, that standard of care that is necessary here, that would you like to see more homes? We've seen it just the last couple of weeks as this has come to light, get their licenses pulled. Should more homes... Uh, you know, be facing that sort of consequence. Absolutely. If you're not going to, if you're not going to meet the standards that are required in those in-person inspections, and I did call for twice a year in-person inspections, then A, I think that information needs to be posted and posted publicly. So any family member, any resident can see it at the click of a button or the click of a mouse, exactly how the long-term care home in question fares in that rating system. And I think secondly, the penalties are, in, are the, the, the penalties or the fines or whatever we're going to call, including licenses being pulled, I think there have to be fairly severe and stringent penalties when a long-term care home is clearly not doing the job it needs to do, for sure. All right, Mr. Del Duca, we'll leave it there for now. Appreciate you coming coming on and continuing the conversation. As we say, every time we talk about this, status quo isn't good enough. Things got to change, and thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. You take care. You as well. There goes Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party.